On this episode, we've got another trading ratings special featuring my brother-in-law, Dan Hess, with the subject, Actor Tom Hardy. everyone welcome to brandon at random reviews i am your host brandon griffiths thank you for stopping by i do appreciate it and like i said today is another trading ratings episode with my brother-in-law dan hess and he's going to talk a little bit about what we've got going on with these episodes all right thanks brandon so for those of you who are not familiar with this special trading ratings format this is the second time we've attempted this special format basic premise is that for each episode, we pick a director or an actor or a character or whatever, some some sort of unifying theme. And each of us rate six of their major movies on a scale of E being the worst all the way up through DCBA to S, which is the absolute best rating we can give. Uh, we might not always each have a movie at each rating level, so we might have mo- multiple movies at the same rating, or uh, you know, we might not have an S tier or an E tier, etc. But we'll go back and forth with our worst selections, working our way up to our best choices, discussing how we feel about the film and the key moments and what worked, what didn't work, etc. We also might obviously have the same movies as each other, just at different or even the same positions on the list. So whoever's turn it is, we'll lead the discussion and then we'll hopefully uh, have some fun banter and, and discussion and, and kind of walk through what we like and what we don't like about some of these movies. So as I said, this is the second time we've done this. Last time, our inaugural episode, we did Coen Brothers movies. And so this time, again, going with something that we both enjoy, uh, we'll be talking about movies starring the great and wonderful Tom Hardy. So Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about Tom Hardy and why he's worth talking about? Okay, so Tom Hardy, a little brief bio here. Edward Thomas Hardy was born in London in 1977. His mother, Anne, was a painter, and his father, Edward Chips Hardy, was a novelist. A little background, he won a modeling contest in 1998. Then he joined Drama Center London and left after getting a part of a U.S. Army private in the acclaimed HBO miniseries Band of Brothers. He has since made a name for himself in mostly serious supporting and eventually lead roles. He said that his hero is actor Gary Oldman. Significant relationships. Apparently, he is currently married to actress Charlotte Riley, whom I have never heard of. And have you heard of her before, Dan? Does she sound familiar? I have not, but I'm going to look her up while you're talking. Okay. So Wikipedia says that he's active from 1998 to the present, but that's not wholly true because basically he's been active from 2001 to the present because that was when Band of Brothers was. Just to clear that up, if there's any confusion, if you look him up and you see, oh, why does it say 1998? His first major film was Black Hawk Down from 2001, and his most recent major film was Venom, Let There Be Carnage from 2021. The total number of credits I have for him is 41. He started off in very small roles. He was in like Layer Cake and Rock and Rolla and just a bunch of these random movies. But the entire thing with Tom Hardy is just that 
he's really like coming into his own. He's really become an established lead actor. Concur. <laughs> Concur indeed. So <laughs> so I guess I mean we can probably kick it right off. I mean, do you want you started last time? I could start this time, I suppose. Yeah, uh real quick though, I'd like to confirm that uh, I looked up Charlotte Riley. I have no idea who she is. Okay. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> I kind of figured. When I looked her up, I was like, I mean, she had a wiki page, so I was like, maybe she's a big deal, but apparently not. She's been in a couple of things I've seen, but I don't know how bigger parts were given that I didn't really particularly recognize her. Right. Okay, so my first movie is Capone from 2020, which also stars Linda Cardellini, who I have noted here is hot, and it also has Matt Dillon. I gave this a rating of a firm E. For a brief synopsis, a notorious gangster's mental and physical health crumbles due to neurosyphilis, and he is released from prison and spends the last year of his life in exile under government watch. Let me just start off by saying that I did not care for this motion picture. It was <laughs> not good. So I got to say, it seemed like a really uninteresting premise to even make a pamphlet out of to put in an Al Capone museum, let alone making a full-length feature film out of it. I mean, we've talked about this before, but I take issue with unrelatable characters and stories. You can get away with it if it at least you make the characters and stories interesting. And that's a problem here, too, is it's not interesting to me at all. So there's a scene where Fonts, which is what they call Al Capone, because they want to distance him from his gangster image, Fonts shits the bed and... Linda Cardellini, she's playing his wife, and it's basically like she has to like respond to this and clean him up and they get him diapers. And I mean, basically, the whole thing is like he's got this neurosyphilis and he's just losing his mind. And basically, this whole movie is just about people putting up with a crazy old man's shit and him being either full of animosity toward them or he's in his own little world. And the voice that Hardy does in this movie gets so unintelligible at times. And I get that that's probably part of his illness, but it doesn't exactly make the whole thing easy to sit through. And then it becomes very clear early on that he's imagining a large portion of the things that we're seeing on screen. And it's like, I've come to realize that I really don't care for dream sequences or surrealism in movies. Like, I get that they want you to immerse yourself and also not know what's real, but I don't want an entire fucking movie like that at all. And I mean, this opinion is partially from the fact that I was in the hospital six years ago and I was having what they call trauma delirium. And I was like constantly having these really vivid dreams. And I thought I was somewhere, somewhere else. And I wouldn't believe anybody who tried to tell me I wasn't where I was. So, I mean, it was just that, that kind of colors my opinion of it. So there's just one incredibly unpleasant scene after another in this movie. And I feel like it's trying so hard. Like, you know, it wanted to win awards or something, but it just was not doing it for me. And at one point later in the movie, the government decides that they want to talk to Fonts because they believe that he hid like $10 million somewhere. But this guy is just so out of it. Like he has his lawyer present and he shits himself during the interview and that's the end of the interview, and that's all that really comes of that. I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention that there is 
a scene at the end where they lose Fonts, and everybody's supposed to be pretty much keeping a watchful eye on him. And he gets his hands on a gold-plated Tommy gun and starts shooting a lot of the people on his estate. Like, he's living in a mansion, and he's got all of these people working on this estate. And it's like, he is going around fucking shooting everybody. And I'm like, God fucking damn it. So so you said that this was uh, this was supposed to be like a biopic, basically. So, like, did that happen? Because that seems so, wacky. Oh, so that's, that's where I'm... <laughs> so, uh, so I... In this moment, as he's shooting all of these people, I'm like, oh, okay, I know what's going on here. This is another fucking dream sequence. And sure enough, it fucking was, because I was like <laughs> thinking to myself, I'm like, this is not, you know, I I realized it was all in his head because I knew this seemed like something that I would have heard about. And then, of course, they reveal that it was all basically hallucinated, except they kind of let you believe that he did do something with the Tommy gun, even though there's nothing documented about any of that that I could find. So, so does he, does he, uh, does he wake up at the end of this? Like, you know, Bob Newhart, a la the end of the Newhart show <laughs> and the whole movie no. was a dream or <laughs> no, it is basically like he, he's on his deathbed and that's it. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not a happy go lucky awaking from a dream, you know, where it's just a little, a little zany things going on. But it was like, I mean, when I say that there was nothing documented about it, I mean that there wasn't anything that I could find in Wikipedia that said it happened. And so naturally, that just means it couldn't have possibly happened. I mean, other other than that, I mean, like I had such a rough time watching this movie. It was so grossly unpleasant. It was it, just the entire time you're like, what is this? You know, like why? Because it's like the movie comes up because when I saw that Tom Hardy was in an Al Capone movie, I thought, oh, that could be really good. I mean, they've kind of done that to death, but that could be really good with Tom Hardy. And, you know, it's like I didn't I never look at like plot synopses or anything like that. I just go, you know, feet first or whatever. And I just it's like I saw like the words come up on the screen at the beginning of the movie and they explain Al Capone, blah, 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 went to prison for tax evasion for 10 years. And then they released him because he'd go, gone so fucking nuts that he was just not a danger to anybody as far as they could see. And then it's like, they just have, and I'm like, that's this movie. That's what this is about is the last year of Al Capone's life. What? So yeah, I yeah. just, it, it did not do well so for me. I, I, I did. I did not see this one. I saw that it got really, really, really bad reviews because I had yeah. the same thought as you the first time I saw that. Oh, he's playing Al Capone. That could be cool. And uh, from what you've said, it sounds like it suffered from a sort of a crisis of identity. Like it didn't know if it wanted to be a psychological drama or a gangster movie or I don't know a personal something or other. So, sounds like it didn't really know what it wanted to do and therefore sort of failed at everything. Yeah, it was like what's. It's not like they're like, oh, you know, let's clear the air on Al Capone and like, let's make him out to be this really good guy realistically or something like that. Or, but it, it's just like, I don't get what, where they were coming from, even thinking this movie needed to be made. Yeah. And it, it just, it's rough. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's all. Bummer that Linda Cardellini couldn't, uh, couldn't save it. She couldn't. And I mean, I've got a well-documented crush on Linda Cardellini oh, for oh. several years. So of course, I, I think I've been, uh, in love with Linda Cardellini since she played Lindsay Weir when I was 17 years old on uh, Freaks and Geeks. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. She, <laughs> so basically, yeah, I mean, the, the supporting performances, because it's like I won't say anybody's performance was bad in the movie. 
it just didn't it just didn't do it for me but um i mean that's really that's all i had for that one i didn't really want to I wanted to make sure I talked about all of the most awful things about it and make sure that no one ever got the idea that I would <laughs> like this movie. But so so there's no saving graces. Not not a one, honestly. I mean, you could say this the performances were something, but they weren't a saving grace. They weren't gonna turn this movie around. So Okay. All right. Well, if you're if you're uh wrapped on that one, I'll go to my first pick and my worst pick. I didn't have an E. So okay. uh, my my lowest one is a I gave a D, uh, and this is uh, I would say a fairly generous D though. <laughs> okay, um, it is a movie called This Means War, and okay. it uh, it stars Chris Pine and Reese Witherspoon as well. And uh, my synopsis of it it's it's sort of an action comedy sort of thing. A CIA agent desperately tries to steal his best friend and brother's new girlfriend, despite having no believable reason to do so, and mild amusement ensues. Wow. So, essentially, you've got these two brothers. They're like foster brothers, but they're best friends. They've known each other their their whole lives. They're inseparable. They're an action duo, CIA agents. One is Tom Hardy and one is Chris Pine. Tom Hardy had a failed marriage and a kid that he's trying to get closer to, but he's like, lonely and you know he's his friends and family and and chris pine are trying to encourage him to get out there and start dating again meanwhile chris pine is like the opposite he's like a player you know he's got a new girlfriend every week kind of thing and uh somehow they both end up trying to win the affections of reese witherspoon which right off the bat it's like tom hardy has this really good first date with her that apparently only lasts like the span of a 10 minute cup of coffee. And then she goes to a video store to rent a movie to watch by herself that night, which in itself was just kind of strange. And at that video store, she runs into Chris Pine who proceeds to be like, they proceed to be complete jerks to each other. Like Mm -hmm. he like aggressively hits on her and she sort of aggressively rebuffs him. And then you fast forward to like where she's at work leading a focus group and he shows up and he's completely obnoxious and a total dickhead and like torpedoes her whole focus group and basically blackmails her into agreeing to go out with him. And it's like borderline, like date rapey, even like, you know, if if you were Reese Witherspoon in this situation, you'd like be calling security, not agreeing to, okay, fine. I'll go on a date with you. You weird stalker. Right. Right. And so like right out of the gates, you're like, why is he into this chick? Like, never mind the competition that has to ensue that the whole movie becomes based around, you know, these two CIA agents using all their CIA resources and stuff to try and one up each other to win the girl. But like, we've established that like her and Tom Hardy kind of had a connection and her and Chris Pine have no reason whatsoever to like each other at all. Even when they go on their first date, that proceeds to like, she just disappears and walks out of the club that he takes her into. And then they run across, he chases her across the street and they, they continue to like argue in the street in public. And it's like, again, you you can't help but think like, why, why is this guy even trying? Like she seems incredibly unlikable to him. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, the, the movie never really gets past that. Right. So when you, when the two realize that they're both chasing the same girl and they set up this, competition for her hand even then they have a moment where like tom hardy says wait did she actually say she wanted to go out with you and chris pine won't admit that no she didn't 
<laughs> she oh. <laughs> he blackmailed her to do so. And then he even at one point is like, you know what? You're you need this more than me. You go ahead and take her. And Tom Hardy's like, no, let's compete. And you're like, wait a minute. This uh, uh, the whole premise is built on a house of cards to begin with. They never quite get you there. Yeah. And there there are moments where it kind of works as a cliche buddy comedy, like not in a terrible way when, when they're messing with each other. It, it, it has yeah. kind of moments of amusement. But as like a, a rom-com, that side of it, it completely, completely misses the mark. So, yeah, the, the only couple of good things I could say about it was kind of funny when they're messing with each other. There's a scene in the there where they go to a pet store where Chris Pine is trying to show her how how much he loves dogs and stuff. And he keeps like saying hello to random people and then calling them by name. And they, they look at him like, who are you? And that's not my name. <laughs> and he does it so naturally. And it's kind of funny. That part is kind of, you know, it, it was worth a chuckle as he's like, Oh, Hey Mary, how you doing? And she just gives him this look like I'm not Mary. Who are you? <laughs> right. And that kind of, that goes on. But other than that, I mean, it, it was bad editing. Like I said, it's not believable. It, was really, really poorly written. Like he seemed just kind of mailed in. You never buy that Chris Pine would have any reason to like her. What else did I have written down here? At some point, Tom Hardy decides he's completely in love with her. And even though they had sort of a connection, they don't really get you to the point where you would believe they're in love. At one point, they decide that they're never going to be friends again. And they're putting in for transfers and all this. And like, even then you're like, I don't see how this could possibly have led you guys to, you know, ending 20 or 30 years of like best friendness. Like neither of you seem that interested really in this girl. And maybe it's just me, you know, maybe this color is my opinion, but personally I, uh, I find Reese Witherspoon to be very overrated. I don't get the big, I don't see what the big deal is, but she, she can yeah, be charming I'm, I'm enough, in, I suppose. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, truly. Yeah. She's, she's not like a bad actress or anything. It's just like, no, I, no, not at all. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't, yeah, I don't see the appeal of her, you know, because she's the star of all these romantic comedies and things like that. And it's like, <laughs> why? I don't really know. Yeah, yeah. And this one, definitely not her best work, though. I don't think it's it's her fault at all. Like I, I keep saying, it's the writing was dog shit and the editing was just as bad. And you, they just they never get you to a point to hit the I believe button on anything. Other people that make appearances in it, Chelsea Handler shows up as like, Supposed to be like her funny friend, but she really comes off as more obnoxious than funny. Jenny Slate shows up briefly as Reese Witherspoon's assistant. And I got to say, I like Jenny Slate. I find her very charming and funny when she's in comedic roles. You might remember her from uh, Parks and Rec. She plays. Oh, yeah. Mona Lisa uh, Saperstein. Mo Mona Lisa Saperstein. And I think yeah. she has a, a couple of different funny parts in uh, the Kroll show. Um, sketch oh, comedy yeah. show. And when when she does funny stuff, I find her really funny. Yeah, but she just just a note. She just kind of shows up in this one, comes and goes. Uh, yeah, and Chelsea Handler. That sounds pretty on brand for her to be more obnoxious than funny. Like, yes, I it, just it, feel like that's kind of her thing. It was a very Chelsea Handler role, though. When I say more obnoxious than funny, again, I don't really think it's her fault. I think just this entire movie from start to finish just sort of felt mailed in like, like it was probably originally conceived in the office as a Chris Pine project or Reese Witherspoon project or something yeah. like that, that they just found a script that could fit the bill in the bin, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> that just, um, it, yeah, it does. It, when I saw, I can't remember if it was on like Hulu or something, 
but it was like I looked at it and I was like, I don't like this one's it's rated at such a mediocre level on IMDb. I think I think it's like 6.1 or, you know, something really low that's like, I don't think I'm going to like this, but I'm also probably not going to hate it enough that it's yeah, like. So, so the Rotten Rotten Tomatoes critic score was 26 oh and the God. audience score was 56. And you alluded that it sounded like something that would be very very blah and forgettable. So yeah. I, as I was, as I started it and Michelle was, was laying on the couch watching it with me and both of us were like every, every five minutes we'd be like, this seems familiar. Like, I feel like I've seen this before. Yeah. And then something else would happen and be like, that seems really familiar. I think I've seen this scene before, but then like that would be immediately followed by like, I have no idea what's going to happen or, you know, other than it was, you know, obviously really predictable, but like, it would be followed by 10 minutes that I don't remember at all, followed by a scene that's like, I absolutely remember this. I swear to God, I've seen this before. And that kept happening throughout the movie. And we decided about halfway through that we have definitely seen this before. And clearly it must not have left an impression. So <laughs> wait a minute. Now that you're like talking about, so like, I remember you texted me that you were watching this movie because you had found this random Tom Hardy movie that you had never heard of. And you knew that I would be, potentially is interested and you said you were you were going to watch it but i didn't know if you ever actually did so that and would that would have been, been a while several ago. years ago <laughs> yeah it would have been quite a while ago but i do remember it because it stuck out as like i hadn't heard of it at all before and it just didn't didn't really occur well, to me that like yeah so. clearly i must have been like you know i don't need it this one doesn't warrant warrant an outbrief uh, yeah, apparently I not. I don't need to waste Brandon's time with this. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So, yeah, I mean. So, yeah. So uh, this movie, I gave it a D. Uh, like I said, it's a generous D. It, you know, it had a couple of moments worth a chuckle. It almost could have worked. Like I felt afterwards that had they really leaned into the buddy comedy aspect of it between Tom Hardy and Chris Pine, it may have been a little bit better because some of those parts were kind of funny as they're like messing with each other with like CIA drones and stuff. Uh, but it wasn't enough to save it. And the whole rom-com piece just, you know, and, and it didn't even have a happy ending. Like it was one of those movies where it's supposed to be a happy ending, but you're like, I don't like, get this it. This is awful. Like, this yeah. is stupid. Yeah, yeah. Like this person shouldn't have ended up with this person. This person shouldn't even forgive this person. This person should hate both of these people. Like, <laughs> and they, yet instead they've all agreed to live miserably ever after, you know? Like, yeah. So that yeah, I, I gave it a generous D not worth checking out. Not even if you like buddy action comedies or rom-coms, leave it in the bin, move on. And with that, I'll hand it back to you for your number five pick. Okay. So, <laughs> My number five pick is Bronson from 2017. I gave this a rating of D and for a brief synopsis, a violent young man who is sentenced to seven years in prison takes on an alter ego and ends up serving over three decades in prison. Oh goodness. So why, why are we making movies about this person? Like this guy there is no reason that somebody needs to have more light shed on his life at all. I mean, I don't really know what I'm gaining from seeing all of this. It's definitely not entertainment. I And I'll say, like, my D rating is probably only because I already had a movie that I thought was objectively worse at E. But it was like, it could have easily been an E for me, too. So 
basically this guy is just a total piece of shit who actively starts fights with virtually any guy he meets and he's just the fucking worst person but he's like really proud of it and he wants to be famous for it i guess and we keep going back to him standing and it's like this weird storytelling device where they have him standing on a stage and it's presumably imagined in his mind it's not like really happening but he's on a stage and he's like talking about stuff and like making jokes and sometimes he's in costume sometimes he's in makeup and it's like there's a crowd there but you never get the feel that it's really real and it's either that or it's either the on stage thing where Tom Hardy is just by himself on stage or it's Tom Hardy alone in a dark room talking directly to the camera and I don't know why both of those ways of telling the story are present. It would make more sense to do one or the other, but they do both of them. So, and we keep going back to him. He's just like, he's constantly like, we're talking, they won't even go into his cell because they have to bring like 10 guards with them because he'll just start fucking throwing bows left and right. And like, just fighting everybody that he can. And it's really difficult to sit. Like, I mean, so they drug him up at one point to keep him from getting violent all the time. And I mean, Hardy's performance is good, but that's kind of a given and it's not a good role, honestly. I mean, there's virtually no real story in the movie. It's just watching a repugnant human being do stuff that repugnant human beings do. Like, I imagine it's probably true to the guy's story. I don't get the feeling that they like, embellished or anything but it was just I mean and it almost seems like it's gonna get normal for a little bit there and we get this kind of sequence where he's almost gonna have a love interest but it's really brief and just kind of goes away and nothing really happens with it and they're basically just in my opinion they're glorifying a man's life that has no need of being glorified he's not I mean he's labeled Britain's most dangerous prisoner and it's like Okay, like that's great. So, I mean, so do you think they were actually trying to glorify his behavior though? Because like I, this is actually one that I saw years ago. I didn't put it on my list to talk about, but I didn't dislike it as much as you did. I, and I, I didn't get the feeling they were glorifying it so much as just kind of showing you how messed up he was. And yeah, like I mean, some, guess- some of those weird sequences were almost trying to evoke like his own psychosis sort of thing. Yeah, and I mean, I guess my thing with it is maybe not glorifying, but like to a certain extent, you are glorifying it in that you're giving this person a movie that right, right. has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. I guess there definitely didn't seem to be a real plot, as I recall, and it was like disturbingly right. violent. Like I, I didn't want to watch it again for a reason, because <laughs> somewhere in my head, I was like, I remember being kind of disturbed by that. Yeah, and that's 100% what it is all the way through. It's just very disturbing. I mean, he fights people. He kills a guy. I mean, he just, it's kind of ridiculous. It's just, I mean, and then the movie, like you kind of alluded to, it's like it left me wanting nothing more than to never watch it ever again in my life. I just, I never need to sit through it again. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's I mean, weird because it actually won a bunch of awards. Like, it got, yeah. you know, independent film festival type things. And I think you got three out of four stars I read by uh, one of the Siskel or, and or Ebert. Well, it would have been Ebert. I guess Ebert. Yeah. Yeah. Siskel never outlived the thumb situation, right? 
what Thumbs wait what's the backstory on that oh yeah right right yeah he <laughs> he's been dead for quite some time yes <laughs> so yeah i mean i personally like it yeah that's just kind of what my take was on it it was like i didn't enjoy watching it it struck me as one of those one of those independent type movies not necessarily truly independent i don't know if it was but it's like they make this movie out of this guy and i'm like why why is this happening like i mean every time i watch a new scene it's just the same fucking story over and over again yeah and it doesn't really do much for me yeah i remember feeling like it didn't really go anywhere and then when it was done being like okay i guess (laughs) right (laughs) right yeah so, I mean, that's, yeah, that's basically, I mean, I rated that one a D and it was, it was definitely close to an E for me. I really didn't care for it. Okay. Well, so for my next one, I'm going to go a little bit more recent here. My next one was Venom from 2018. And this is one that I was very excited about when it came out and then it was immediately critically panned and I just kind of never got around to watching it. Uh, So I thought this was a good excuse to force myself to sit down and finally watch it. So it's a based on a comic book character, a a historic villain of Spider-Man, though he was sort of like a chaotic good kind of like an anti-hero type. Yeah, yeah. like an anti-hero. Like he's he was always billed as a villain, mainly because he was a spider like he didn't like Spider-Man. But once he got his own series, he was more of just an anti-hero vigilante type. So my synopsis was that a local reporter is possessed by an alien symbiote and shenanigans ensue. And so this one, as you yourself likely remember, Brandon, we had a conversation years ago. I mean, Uh years ago, way back when they made Spider-Man three and they made they cast (laughs) Topher Grace as Eddie Brock, who who becomes uh, Venom. And if you don't know who Topher Grace is, he's Eric Foreman from that 70s show (laughs) to just give you a scrawny picture of him. Yes, yes. And for anyone who has any familiarity whatsoever with the comic book character of Eddie Brock, picture everything that is the exact polar opposite of Eric Foreman. (laughs) Yes. It was like, no, no disrespect to Topher Grace, but that was just an absolute terrible casting. It was like whoever cast that must have been told by the studio, hey, this kid is kind of popular right now. Shoehorn him into your next movie yeah, because he is not Eddie Brock. That's and legitimately it, the only explanation yes, for it. That's yeah, all it I can really, think. Like, it, that's it. Like, like who's hot at the moment? Put that person in there and put their name on the movie poster. Because you and I had a conversation at that time. We were complaining about how awful of a casting that was. And simultaneously, we were like, you know who would be perfect as Eddie Brock? Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy was born to play Eddie Brock. He embodies Eddie Brock. And so when they formally announced they were making a Venom movie and they announced that Tom Hardy was given the role. It was like we rejoiced. It was like were, oh, yeah. was our were our phones bugged? <laughs> you know, right, like we, right. We, it was so perfect. And then, unfortunately, as I'll I'll get into here, the movie itself sort of missed what what I felt was. I mean, Tom Hardy's performance as Eddie Brock and as Venom, I thought was just fine. And in fact, I thought they actually did Venom some decent justice as far as how they made the character and the voice in his head, because that's how it was in the comics too. Like he had like this internal dialogue that was the alien talking to him. And they always referred to themselves as we, because there was more than one 
thing going on in his head, right? So, so that was good. And as just kind of a fun comic book movie, I thought actually like there's a really cool car chase scene in it that I really liked where they did some cool things with Venom's uh, like alien ability to sort of almost Mr. Fantastic like stretch his limbs and stuff and do some really neat things with the motorcycle that he's riding as he's getting chased by all these bad guys all over the city. I thought that was kind of fun, but honestly, that's a about it. Like it's, you know, if you take it at face value as just a goofball comic book movie, you can enjoy it. But beyond that, it suffers from a lot of cheap tropes, like the bad guy, alien, every time it possesses a body, it like stumbles slowly, you know, like a drunken cripple or something. Yeah. And it's just kind of like a cliche, you know, a doesn't make any sense because by the time Venom and this other bad guy finally meet, he's like not at all possessing drunken, stumbling people. It's like totally natural. And he has all the, the, the same sorts of abilities that Venom has. And so it just it, it just doesn't make sense. You know, it, there's a point at which uh, the evil rich man, bad guy, which is a, you know, a trope in itself. He gives like a biblical speech to a homeless test subject like this homeless test subject has any idea what he's talking about. There's moments where they like have Tom Hardy pinned down and then they have a ridiculously drawn out execution style thing to give him plenty of time to escape. You know, it's just like cliche after cliche. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, that was that was what I kind of came away like. It just seemed like it was it didn't feel like it broke the mold or anything in any way to me. Like it wasn't right. And and it's it's unfortunate because I felt like Venom is a good opportunity to break the mold because as, as we mentioned, like he's an anti-hero, he's a bad guy, but not really, you know, in his own movie, he's a good guy, but he's, you know, he's kind of got that, like I said, that like chaotic good kind of thing going on. Like if he sees some burglar rob an old lady's purse, he'll like mangle them (laughs) unnecessary, like to an unnecessary extreme. And then like kindly return the purse kind of thing, which you see in the movie, you know, at one point in that convenience store, you kind of see that they just kind of fell into a lot of pitfalls. Uh, the writing wasn't very good. There wasn't enough to convince me that Venom would want to be a good guy or that he would be willing to die to save Earth. And that's kind of the direction it goes. And by the time he's like sacrificing himself so that Earth lives, you're like, I don't get it. Why would he care? The best explanation you give is kind of funny. He tells Eddie Brock that back on my planet, I was a loser just like you. And maybe I could make myself, you know, something of myself here. But that still doesn't really explain why he would be willing to kill himself to save this world that like he has no connection or or affinity for. Jenny Slate again pops up in it, though, in a sort of awkward way. Like I actually had written down that like in the very first scene you see her, she seems oddly out of place. (laughs) At one point, she like decides that you know she like her conscience gets the better of her and so she like wants to expose the bad guy so she lets Eddie Brock in who is going to do like an expose cuz he's a reporter and she just like breaks into this super mega high top secret secure lab facility and just like says just go in there and snoop around I'll be out here <laughs> right and, you know, I remember that like, moment very well yes like hey how could she just like Walk like I work at the Pentagon. I wouldn't be able to just walk in with like you behind me. Be like, oh, don't worry, he's with me, right? <laughs> you know? And that's like, and I'm talking like the gift shop, right? 
like let alone this like super super highly classified lab where then she gets him to there and then opens that with like you know retina scanning and palm scanning and voice recognition or whatever else they have in there and then she's just like just go ahead snoop around take some pictures i'll be out here just things like that and then the symbiote he knows everything about tom hardy's character like he knows where he lives he knows his past he knows about his you know his childhood and and his love life and everything yet he doesn't recognize his ex-girlfriend when he sees her he's like who's that yeah. That didn't make okay. any sense. It's a little thing, but it didn't make any sense. At one point, the bad guy possesses this little girl in an airport and she just wanders away and walks into the city. And you're like, is no one looking for this eight year old girl who just wandered away? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it, it just it, it felt sort of mailed in, which was unfortunate. So, oh, and I also had uh, they, they kind of wasted the actor Riz Ahmed. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Sound of Metal a year or two ago, but Riz Ahmed, he was he was a. Uh, he was nominated for best actor for it. He was it was it was super oh. good movie, and he was he's really really good. He did an awesome performance, but I felt he was kind of wasted because he plays the bad guy, and, and it's like I said, it's the most cliche of cliche bad guy characters. Kind of a bummer. I wish it would have been better. I give it a C on the merit of you know trying to just accept it at face value for being kind of a fun comic book movie, but I'm really giving it the benefit of the doubt because uh, they executed Venom himself pretty well and tom hardy did a good job with it see like that's where i i struggle because i don't know if i agree with like i don't think that they the way they wrote venom and eddie brock i felt maybe i want to say like it shouldn't have been so empathetic like it should have been i really i guess my biggest issue with it was basically venom is birthed out of being a villain to spider-man as we talked about and it's like he doesn't start out in a spider-man movie and it's Mm -hmm. like he doesn't kind of have that thing to focus on of like if i recall correctly and it sounds like you probably know the comics better than i do because i've only read a few venom comics but like it just seems like eddie brock is way more of a dick and less likable than i remember but i i mean i just i felt like I, I felt that he he was he was cocky in it. You know, he's like kind of cocky, kind of arrogant. Gets yeah. his gets his girlfriend fired or his fiance fired. I will agree with you though, definitely that like they almost tried to make you feel bad for him when it was like, well, what did you expect was going to happen? You just stole from your fiance and got her fired as a result. She lost her career. Like, why would she have? done anything other than walk out on you like any sane person would do so right? yeah, and yeah you don't really you're not really rooting for him <laughs> to get her back because you don't think that she should go back to him right right although i did note that his girlfriend being played by michelle williams she moved on awful fast it felt like it was the next week and she had already moved in with uh the guy from veep oh yeah and, and like he seemed likable enough but it was like weren't you like literally just engaged to tom hardy last week yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah, already like moved in with this new guy. Like that that seems uh like quite the swing there. <laughs> right. You need to recuperate a little bit longer than that, I think. But yeah, that's I mean, I saw both Venom movies in theater and I haven't seen either of them since. Like mm-hmm. I just I I couldn't quite get there with like being on board with them being enjoyable, honestly. It was like I, I, I especially and I remember this was like played up for comedy. But the whole thing with like Venom eating all of this gross shit and like wanting to eat people. 
Yeah, I don't just, particularly remember that. No, I don't either. I, I may have missed it, but uh, maybe they just said, well, hey, we got to have a reason he's got this giant mouth and big teeth. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it could be. It's It, it could have been in some but I, comics I do or remember some humor in his his comics, though. Like, oh, like yeah. His, his inner monologue was usually humorous. And once he started getting his own series, is his, Spider-Man wasn't in a bunch of them. It was just him. I remember there was one where it was him versus Juggernaut was like a three book series, I want to say. Yeah, he they, they definitely tried to establish him as like his own character. And I remember thinking he was like awesome. He was one of my favorites when I was a kid. So maybe that it had that going for it, too, where like as long as they do some cool venomy things, I was going to be at least somewhat happy. But as you said, I wouldn't say this is a good movie. I think it's yeah. it's a fun romp. I don't know that I go back to it. I feel no no need to watch it again, though. I haven't watched the second one yet. The Carnage one with Woody Harrelson. I will at some point. I don't feel the need to rush into it. So I gave it a C, somewhat generous C, I'm sure. But that's all I got to say about Venom. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, So I guess that brings me to my next movie, The Drop, which also it's from 2014. And it also stars James Gandolfini in his final film role. I gave this a rating of B for the synopsis. A bartender gets caught in the fallout when the bar where he works, which is run by the Chechen mafia, is robbed. And basically, to kind of expand on that, it's like the mafia runs all of their, you know, they essentially they run all of these different bars and they use each of them as what they call drop points or whatever. they're, They're drop bars and they use it to drop their illegal money and basically have the business like launder it, I'm sure. And that's the basic premise. So the premise alone had me very intrigued. It sounded like it could have been a very, you know, intense type story. I really enjoyed the idea. Tom Hardy puts on a pretty fucking amazing performance. And he, he really, the only problem is, is like Tom Hardy has this thing where he seems to love to do like little voices. And in this one, he was like doing a voice and he was just kind of, mumbling like he was trying to act like he was standoffish and so he was talking quietly and I had to like turn the closed captioning on just to hear what he was saying but basically there are a lot of really intense moments throughout the course of the film that really keep you on the edge and you really don't know what to expect around every corner and it's honestly pretty fucking solid like I it's not like a high budget movie it's it's like, you know, one of those movies that you turn on and you're expecting kind of lower or smaller scale type things going on. So this woman that is in this, her name is Numi Rapace, I think, or probably pronounced differently. But I didn't think I had seen her in anything, but she was actually the original girl with the dragon tattoo, like the foreign film. And so that's that was pretty interesting to me. And she was like a solid love interest. She did a really good job. James Gandolfini plays a very Gandolfini-ish role. He plays the owner of the bar. And basically, Tom Hardy works for him. It's just, for much of the story, there's a scene towards the beginning where Hardy is walking home and he finds this dog in a trash can outside of this woman's house. And it's like severely abused and all of this stuff. And so it basically shows him like he's going to adopt it. He's going to take care of it and all this stuff. And it's like, I kept thinking just because 
of John Wick, I kept thinking to myself, I was like, if something fucking happens to this dog, I'm going to be so upset. But so like that was that was my problem. Like I was like worried the whole time that it was there was something that was going to happen. But there are like some pretty major unexpected moments in the final act of the movie that I was very satisfied by. I thought I thought that they were really well brought home to it. And I just I really honestly liked this one quite a bit. It was just, it had its slow spots here and there, and you kind of didn't really know. I mean, and it wasn't even really that bad. I'm making it sound much more awful. I'm just trying to justify the B rating, but it's, um, <laughs> it was really enjoyable. I mean, it was, it was a good one. I was pretty surprised by it. There was, I was trying to decide between I was going to watch the drop or I was going to watch this one called, I think it was like Child 44 or something like that. And yeah, child 44. And that one I decided against because it has an actor named Joel Kinnaman in it. And I don't like him at all. So I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm fucking watching the drop. And I was pleasantly surprised. I was honestly pretty fucking happy with it. Child 44 also had really, really abysmal Rotten Tomatoes scores, both sides. Oh, OK. So That's you may news. have dodged a bullet there. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, I know that was pretty brief, but that's really all I've got for that one. Okay, well, I've, my next movie is also a B. For my next one, I watched the movie Lawless. Okay. From 2012. It's like a, a time period piece, crime drama, sort of action-y sort of thing. But it's like an old gangster movie. It takes place in uh, Prohibition era, rural Virginia. My synopsis, corrupt government officials attempt to take down a family of tough guy moonshiners during prohibition in rural Virginia. Stung pride and extreme violence ensues. <laughs> um, and so it features Tom Hardy, Shia LaBeouf, and what's his name? Jason Clark, I think it is. Yeah, Jason Clark as three brothers who have their own moonshining racket going on. And mm -hmm. Tom Hardy and Jason Clark are like particularly tough guys. Everybody in town knows they're super tough. There's sort of a legend around them that they're indestructible because like Tom Hardy's character survived World War One when the rest of his platoon was wiped out. He survived the Spanish flu when like everybody else in town who got it was killed. Um, and he just seems to be like unkillable. And he's very he's very Tom Hardy and, you know, lots of mean looks um, right out of the gates, like as they're kind of introducing the fact that these guys are working together and they are moonshiners. He proceeds to punch a guy in the face so hard that he almost kills him in one punch with brass knuckles. And it's one of those like like I don't know if you noticed this in your uh, watching of all these Tom Hardy movies recently and in the past, but like. Every Tom Hardy movie these days has that moment where you're like, oh, geez, this guy's going to get punched in the face and it's going to be real hard because Tom Hardy punches people real hard and you know <laughs> it's coming. You can sense it coming. You get excited about it and it happens and it's every bit as marvelous as it should be every <laughs> single time, you know? Like, Absolutely. No matter how bad the movie is, when that happens, you're like, yes. Right. <laughs> Such you know? a gratifying and, moment. And they waste no time getting to that moment in this movie, like right off the bat. And this guy is, you know, clear he's giving him shit. He's trying to like shake them all down for their money at knife point. And you're just like, oh man, this guy brought a knife to a Tom Hardy fight. That's that's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. <laughs> and sure enough, I don't even think he gets one swipe in and Tom Hardy like breaks his face with his uh, brass knuckles. So we're all off to a good start. You then see Gary Oldman, who until you mentioned that earlier, I did not realize Gary Oldman was his idol. 
but he uh, gets to be in a movie with him in this. He was also in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy with Gary Oldman. Yes. Oh, yes, he was, wasn't he? I have not seen that, and I didn't watch it, though. It was on my short list of movies to watch. It's a need to rewatch for me. I need to yeah. like pay more attention this time around. It was one of those I couldn't tell how big Tom Hardy's role was. And so I was like, when we were talking about, you know, what qualifies as a quote unquote Tom Hardy movies, that was one where I was like, well, he's not on the poster and I don't think his name is on the poster. So I'm going to say probably not, but I still want to watch this. But anyway, back to Lawless. Gary Oldman is a, a gangster who is not to be trifled with. He's almost like an Al Capone type, you know, he's like a leader. Jessica Chastain shows up. She's his love interest. Guy Pierce is like the villain that kind of takes me to, to one of the things that's not so good about this movie. So Guy Pierce is supremely unlikable, right? Like he's, you're not supposed to like him at all. He's the villain in a movie full of really villains, right? But you are not supposed to like this villain above all else. And to that end, they were very successful. I mean, he is extraordinarily unlikable. Like you hate everything about this guy from the second you see him on screen, from his look to the way he talks, to the way he picks on people who can't defend themselves really you just hate everything about this guy that said it's almost too cartoonish you know you're like you almost feel like they should have drawn him in like a cartoon like you're watching who framed roger rabbit or something you know what i mean like he's that he's that over the top to the point where it almost becomes a distraction and then there's again a lot of the the things where it's like you know it's it's an old-timey Gangster movie, but it kind of leans into some of the cliche old time gangster movie type things. Some for good, some for bad. Nothing to really tear it down as a terrible movie by any stretch of the imagination. But I think in some ways it kind of limits it from being a really good movie, you know? So I would say like overall, if you're a fan of period pieces and like old gangster movies, it's worth checking out. But if not, meh. It's okay. I gave it a B basically because I I do kind of like the old, you know, prohibition era type thing. And like they're way out, they're way out in the country too. You know, it's not like downtown Chicago prohibition era. It's like, you know, moonshiners in the Appalachian Hills type prohibition. It's loosely based on like real events. It's based on a novel that was written by the grandson of Shia LaBeouf's character. (laughs) Um... (laughs) And but it's it's a novel, though, like it's not a historical, you know, nonfiction or whatever. He he writes a novel and he sets as the main characters, his grandfather and great uncles kind of based on like, I think from what I read about it, he sort of like he did a bunch of research and like read a bunch of, you know, newspaper clippings from the time and all that. So he kind of based it on like actual legends that were going on and there was there was an actual like Franklin County conspiracy ring where like all the government officials were getting kickbacks and all this it was one of the biggest investigations i guess or 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 cases in Virginia history and like you know 20 people went to jail or something like including government officials and cops and all these people but then also reading about it it was sounds like it was kind of overblown like in reality they all went and like you know spent a weekend in jail and or just paid a fine and they were all back to doing what they were doing before, like before they even went in to serve their sentence, they were back to racketeering and stuff like and even even then, I think some of this was actually after prohibition. So like alcohol was legal again, but they were making moonshine and avoiding paying taxes on it. So, you know, one of those, I don't know, it it sounds like it's uh, it, it was it was sort of a puffed up version of a 
kind of true events, maybe, sort of. Yeah, like um, the epitome of a loosely based on true events. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Like inspired by some stuff that happened. Right. <laughs> you know, but this story in and of itself couldn't really tell. And it certainly didn't seem that uh, believable. And that was one of the things that kind of dropped it down for me because a lot of it I thought they did pretty well. But when all was said and done, spoiler alert, if uh, uh, you don't want to hear the ending, fast forward 30 seconds. But like at the final climax of the movie with like the brothers showing down with all these law people and having this huge shootout, like nobody dies. Like w- the bad guy dies in sort of a not really satisfying cartoony way even. And like everybody else, even the people who get shot kind of seem to survive and Going into it, I felt like, oh, man, everybody's going to die, right? Like 30 people are going to end up dead from this thing, which in my opinion is how it should have happened. Like it should have had sort of a tragic ending. And instead it was like they all lived happily ever after. And it didn't seem to make sense. They all stopped moonshining and lived happily ever after. And it was like, what? (laughs) You know? See, that's that's not how – I mean, I agree. That's not how a movie like that should end because I I remember – I watched this one. I don't remember if I saw it in theater or if I watched it when I, you know, rented it or something later on, but it was, yeah, it was, I would probably have graded it about the same way you did. And I felt similar things. I remember that. I also struggle with the fact that I'm not a huge Shia LaBeouf fan and it's Yeah, just, who is? Honestly, is I don't know. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. I feel the same way I have, you know, kind of like as soon as I saw that he was actually the main character, I was like, uh, you know, like he's like a co-lead with Tom Hardy, sort of. But I don't know. He, he wasn't bad in this by any stretch. But at the same time, he he's one of the characters who does a couple of things where you're like, I don't buy that at all. Like, why? That seems overly right. stupid. Why would he do that? Like, again, he's he's courting this girl who I don't really see why he thinks she's so special. She's like 100 percent not any of their type. Right. She's like the daughter of this like super mega like speaking in tongues preacher type guy kind of thing, you know. And super religious and whatever. And they're a bunch of like bootlegger outlaws. And for some reason that you're not really sure about, other than I guess he's infatuated with her, he like makes it his goal in life to win her over and immediately takes her to their hideout where he's tailed by the government people and they all get found out. And it's like, what were you thinking? And even his brother sees him, who is who is lookout that day sees him coming and goes, Oh no, what the fuck are you doing? You know? And as you're sitting there, you're like, what would possess him to think this was a good idea? Right. However, it's not everything he does is bad. Uh, I would say I liked his black scally cap with the red pinstripes. I thought it was a pretty fancy hat and uh, make whenever I see a hat like that, it makes me wish fancy hats would make a comeback. I'd like to wear one without looking like a douchebag, but wait, wait (laughs) to clarify here. You're saying that, not everything Shia LaBeouf does is bad. Sometimes his costumes are good. Yes, he had an excellent, excellent wardrobe department. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yes. yes, yes, you heard that that's, right. All right, that's good. All right. That's, the the that's best thing about his character is, is his hat in one of the scenes. <laughs> uh, oh, I also had a note that Tom Hardy gives us yet another new accent. He's very good at accents, by the way. Oh, he is. He absolutely is. For all the uh, praise that he gets for, for, you know, his performances and stuff, like specifically the way he does accents is absolutely fantastic. Well, because he does, I mean, he does a, if he's not doing an accent, he's doing a voice of some sort usually. Right, right. You know. And and, and actually, quick tangent, uh, the other day, 
your your sister, my wife, and I got into this YouTube rabbit hole where we were watching this uh, professional voice or not voice actor dialect coach, like language mm. and dialect coach coaches actors and stuff. We were watching these videos where he's breaking down different accents around North America, and then we were watching. Another series this guy did where he's like showing clips of actors doing various accents and breaking them down and talking about what's good and what's not good. So, of course, he shows, you know, Kevin Costner in Robin Hood and he's just like, <laughs> I have no idea what he's even trying to do here. And, and then he shows other ones like, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Capote and stuff. And he's and he's showing it side by side with real Truman Capote footage and he's like it's this is uncanny how good he is kind of thing you know but he's breaking down and like getting into like the science behind dialects and everything anyway it was really interesting and like i want to watch more of them and try and fast forward to points where he might talk about tom hardy to see if like tom hardy's accents are are really on point or if it's just he sells them really well you know because he's yeah. such a good actor but anyway I mean, s slight slight dialogue tangent there or, or a, a dialect tangent there but but i thought that was good and as one really good moment in the movie, like there's this scene where Tom Hardy gets ambushed and he gets his throat cut and he ends up like he wakes up in the hospital and they tell him he walked like 20 miles in the snow with a throat slit and got himself to the hospital, even though he doesn't really remember it. Well, later on in the movie, he learns that he was not in fact, he did not in fact walk 20 miles in the snow. Someone found him, put him in their car and drove him to the hospital. And he has this look on his face like, what? You mean... I'm not that amazing. <laughs> right. And, and it, the look on his face is priceless and he, he sells it super well. Like there's this look of total confusion and no, no, I'm supposed like, to be a badass. No. Yeah. Like it, 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 cause it was part of his legend about how indestructible he was. Final thing I will say, and this isn't a criticism. Uh, J Jessica Chastain takes a shirt off at one point. Her bubes were nice though. It did kind of feel like unnecessary though I'm not complaining. And other than that, yeah, I gave it a B, almost a C based on the way it ended. It just totally falls apart, in my opinion, at the end. I think it could have almost been contending for a, maybe it wouldn't have been an A anyway, but definitely it almost dropped to a C with that last part. But overall, not bad, worth checking out, especially if you like old gangster movies. I thought it was decent. Very watchable. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. All right. So I guess... That leads to my next movie, which is another movie that Tom Hardy and Gary Oldman are in together, even though they don't share any scenes, I don't think. The Dark Knight Rises from 2012, also starring Christian Bale and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, among many, many others. I gave this a firm rating of B. Brief synopsis, just the final installment in the Dark Knight trilogy. If you know the Dark Knight trilogy, you know what to expect roughly in this movie. Hardy's performance is pretty great. It's probably the best of the movie, and he's able to convey a ton of emotion despite not being able to see his whole face because, you know, he's got this mask on that is somehow dispensing a type of anesthetic that keeps his pain at bay. And I really think it's for the best that we don't know how it really works because it doesn't really seem like it's super realistic at all. But that being said, he plays a much more terrifying villain than we typ typically see in movies as his character's plot casts an overwhelming shadow and kind of sets the tone over a large portion of the film. It's honestly just this overwhelming feeling of dread in this movie. It is 
oh man, it is it is very well orchestrated. It's very it's like you feel so hopeless watching this movie. You feel like the, they're gonna win. Obviously, this one has a star-studded cast, and everyone seems to bring their A game here. I really like Anne Hathaway in this movie. She plays Selena Kyle. They don't they specifically don't call her Catwoman because reasons basically trying to ground everything in reality. They want her to just be a cat burglar that happens to wear a mask and have cat ear goggles that she wears every <laughs> once in a while. But as a cat burglar would, right? Right, right, naturally. <laughs> so um, the plot is a lot slower, though, than the prior two films in the trilogy, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Uh, it kind of drags early on before we see Batman, which is a problem in my mind since it's a Batman movie. And realistically, I've never come away from a Batman movie thinking I saw too much Batman. But then again, I am. That is so deeply rooted in my personality that I want to see more Batman. So I guess that's not really a wholly fair argument. But I did hear people say that when it first came out, they said that they like rented the movie and they stopped watching it because it was like 40 minutes in and like nothing had happened really. Like they were just like, there's no Batman in this movie. Like what the fuck's going on? And as I alluded to, it's the weakest of the trilogy. And there are just a couple of moments in this movie that annoy the shit out of me, probably more so than the average person would be annoyed by them. For instance, there are a few big reveal scenes toward the end of the movie. Like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, John Blake is a police officer and he's like been helping Batman throughout the movie and he knows who Batman is and all this stuff. But at the end of the movie, they have this God awful moment where he's like at this front desk. I don't remember what he's doing. He's getting a bag or something. And it's like the lady says, Oh, you should use your real first name, Robin. And I'm like, good fucking God. <laughs> like, that is fucking terrible. Why did you do like he couldn't just be right. oh god. So they had, like I, they had to make him Robin. <laughs> right, right. It's just like we yeah. it's like, oh yeah, that was the gratification I was looking for with that character. If he wasn't Robin, I wasn't gonna like him. Anyway, there's seems like a, a heavy handed Easter egg attempt, you know? It really is. It's they, like they want everybody to go, oh <laughs> I and you know what you know what I love about Easter eggs is how they can be hidden and not easily seen and be like subtle. <laughs> right, That's right. really a nice choice to make. Which is kind of where that that term comes from, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So I, my other, another thing that happens is Alfred is talking to Bruce earlier in the movie, like the first half of the movie, he's talking to him about how while Bruce was away during the events of Batman Begins, Alfred said he used to go on holiday to this little cafe in Europe and he would sit down by the river at the cafe and he would just like have this hope in the back of his head that one day he would see Bruce there and he would have like moved on with his life and had a family and things like that. Alfred really didn't want the whole Batman thing for him, but it's like they show it in the first half of the movie, him going to this cafe and he sees this like, unidentifiable man and some woman at a table. And then it's like, of course that has to be the final scene of the movie where it's like, he goes to that cafe again and Bruce is there after having thought he was dead, even though, you know, spoilers for the dark Knight rises, by the way, Batman 
Batman doesn't actually die. But anyway, so <laughs> it's like, I mean, that's that's what I hate is it's like it reminds me of and, and this is I know you're not a fan, but like the most recent Star Wars movie, they had a habit of, you know, like you were talking about with Lawless, where they're they'll kill off a character or they won't kill off a character and it'll it'll be like it'll be like they really needed to die. Like that was the only logical way to end their story was to have them die. And that, right. that makes sense for a lot of characters. What I hated is in the last Star Wars movie, The Rise of Skywalker, I think it's called. And it's like there were multiple times where they killed off major characters and you were like, oh, no, you know, that's terrible. I didn't, I didn't want them to die. And then they like pull the rug out from under you a half an hour later and bring the character back. And it's like, don't do that. Like, I didn't want to see him die, but like, don't don't fucking kill them off and and then bring them back just to appease the audience like it shit happens like you, you've got to yeah, have somebody yeah. you know so i mean that annoyed me the only other I, I won't dwell on this any longer than i already have but like the only other point was like there's a moment where batman is by himself he's basically talking to selena kyle and she vanishes like Batman is often want to do. You know, he like just disappears midway through somebody talking and they look up and he's gone. And it's like he he kind of has this moment where he's like because, he, he you know, Christian Bale does the obnoxious Batman voice and he's like, so that's what that feels like. And it's like, <laughs> I fucking hate that. Like, you're alone, dude. You don't need to be doing the voice right now. Like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> So I mean, he's, he gets in character, right? He's a method, method Batman. <laughs> he is. That's fair. I mean, I guess it's like to be safe, you might as well not. But it's just it was a silly little stupid joke. But uh, the only the only thing I have is I hadn't had any really any tidbits for the movies I chose. But this one was semi interesting. So Tom Hardy is five foot nine inches tall and had to wear three inch lifts to make his character Bane appear as tall or taller than co-star Christian Bale. Just thought that was a little interesting because I didn't realize he was hmm. that short. It was, so sure. overall, though, how did you feel about Tom Hardy's performance as Bane? Did oh, you? That's, well, that was what I was leading off with. That was what I talked about early on. Okay. Was that he because... was he was phenomenal in the role. He was the best performance of the movie, in my opinion, because especially yeah. with the mask on, they they made jokes like I don't know, like memes that are basically like making fun of like Kristen Stewart and the Twilight movies and how Tom Hardy was able to convey more emotion than she was. And he had a fucking mask on. <laughs> my, my only, if I had to make one complaint about it was that I felt like sometimes he was hard to understand with that mask, you know, yes. the, the mask combined with his accent that he does in that kind of made it, it made some things hard to understand, but overall there were, <laughs> there were legitimate <laughs> moments in the movie where you had no idea what he said, like right, e right. even a little bit. I mean, like he, you, you get it like early on where he's like, perhaps he's wondering why someone would shoot a man before throwing him out of a plane. And you're like, that's the voice. Okay. Yeah, and you're All like, right. I think he just said, wah, 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 wah. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like, is, does he have something in his mouth? Like, is, is he eating? <laughs> I mean, um, I don't see. That's what I, I would love to know is if Tom Hardy ADR, like dubbed over, his lines or if he was yeah. actually performing them and they put that recording into the movie yeah. because it seems like it would be fucking rough to get good audio yeah. from him. I, I will say though that, and, and I'm sure, you know, as a, a rabid Batman fan, you'll appreciate this. You know, Bane is one of those characters who he's, 
in the timeline of Batman, you know, from the beginning, all the way to the beginning to now, he's like a latecomer, but he's also a really, really, really significant bad guy in the Batman yeah. story. And he hit when I was a kid. I mean, I want to say it was like the early 90s, right? When when that whole Nightfall yeah, story Nightfall, yep. took place. So like for me, Bane has always been one of my absolute favorite bad guy characters. I thought he was super interesting character. He was a, a unique bad guy in, in many senses that like, you know, his his story and his origin was like he was literally like born into being a villain. Yeah. You know, he was serving prison in some third world country. He was serving a prison sentence from the time he was born because his father was guilty of something and then died before he was able to serve his prison sentence. So like in that country, they take your firstborn kid and lock them yeah. up to serve your sentence. So like right off the bat, he's being raised to be this like ruthless, everyone for themselves, twisted kind of, you know, sense of, I, I don't want to call it honor, but like, you know, he, his perspective is unique as far as Batman bat villains go. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, he's it's just and, like the ultimate match at every level to Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and as you may unfortunately remember, the first time they tried to shoehorn Bane into oh, a Batman God. movie, the god awful Batman and Robin, the George Clooney one, they have him be this like barely coherent, oafish, like. Yeah, he's just grunt he's just or, a grunt. Yeah, he's just, just a grunt. Yeah, like and because they did that, it was almost like, well, now you can't actually use him in another Batman movie. You know, like they just ruined it. So <laughs> thank God for complete reboots from yeah. the ground up, because that was the only way for us to get a good Bane. And and <laughs> for this one, they at least knocked Bane out of the park, because I remember like being heartbroken initially. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, that what I love is in like. In that movie, it's just to give you an idea of the kind of things in Batman <laughs> and Robin that Bane says he is putting these icicle bombs out because there's Mr. Freeze is the main villain. And he's putting these icicle bombs out and he goes, bomb. Yes. <laughs> that's all he yes. says. And it's like, that's all he has to say about anything is like one word things. He reminds me of the character that Sandor Clegane plays in the movie Hot Fuzz. When he's like, oh, yeah, (laughs) yes. And I just remember like seeing that. And and even more so than that, like that character in the Batman and Robin movie, along with all the other things that are ridiculously awful about it. He serves no purpose whatsoever. You could remove him from that movie altogether. The story doesn't change. It's just as bad. It's just as, you know, like it served for no other purpose than to like shoehorn in a character that they then destroyed the ability to use outside of a complete reboot, which to be fair was necessary by that point. But like, I I don't know. It just, that's, that's my take on Bane. (laughs) Yeah. Bane. Well, to be fair, Bane, it's not like, you know, basically everything about Batman and Robin is what necessitated a reboot. You know, I mean, it was like the entire fucking movie was just that (laughs) awful. And every character, it really was. It really was. Yeah. So, Okay. So is that is that all you have to say on uh, the Dark yep, Knight Rises and yep. Bane? Okay. So my next one, I'm going to give a strong A. This movie blew me away. I had never seen it before. I watched it for this project. I was 100% prepared to like give it a generous B just based on the movie poster alone. And it 
fucking blew me away. So this movie is called Warrior. It's from 2011, and it features Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton as brothers, uh, and they're like MMA cage fighters. And so the poster is just them two with their shirts off, and it's like boxing movie kind of thing. And I was like, okay, it's going to be a boxing movie or or MMA in this case, right? You know, whatever. It's going to be predictable. Right. Things are going to happen. It might be good. Probably have some good performances, but whatever. And boy, oh boy, did it surprise me. So my synopsis, let me find it here. I said, two estranged brothers must face their own pasts, personal demons, and the world's best F- MMA fighters as they struggle to find redemption. And in this case, some financial stability as well, because they both have uh, a reason to be needing money. So, you know, it it opens up on like Tom Hardy has returned home after no one's seen him for years. Uh, He hasn't seen his dad in 15 years or something. His dad's played by Nick Nolte in an Oscar nominated role for supporting actor. He didn't win, but he was nominated. And you find out right off the bat that Nick Nolte was a drunken, abusive, horrendous father. He beat the hell out of his kids, his wife, everybody. He was a miserable drunk. And that haunts his kids as well, who are both estranged and will not speak to him. Like I said, they haven't talked to each other or him in 15 years. The whole family basically disintegrated as a result. But you learn right away that he's sober now as well. Like he's been sober for three years. He's doing great. He doesn't want booze. And Tom Hardy is like, he's broken to the point that like he's uncomfortable about his dad being sober and he keeps trying to get him to just have a drink. And in more than one instance, you see him like almost angry that his dad's sober and he wants him to be drunken almost like so that he can justify giving him that classic Tom Hardy punch. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and he can't, but as the movie unfolds, you find out basically everybody in that, all the main characters are deeply flawed and have like these horrible demons from their past. So like Tom Hardy has similar resentment for his older brother played by Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton has resentment to Tom Hardy and his dad, or you know, their dad, I guess to back up again, you, you learn that 15 years ago, Tom Hardy and his mom like escaped in the night. Like they just left, they left everything behind. Tom Hardy was about to be like a, he was about to break records and stuff in high school wrestling and everything, but he just left it all behind. They disappeared in the night, never to be seen or heard from again. And then, and you find out their brother was supposed to go with them, but he didn't go because he had a girlfriend that he was into who he ended up marrying later on. But that's where the kind of that resentment comes because Tom Hardy explains later that like he needed his big brother as his mom died of cancer or whatever. And he had to do take care of it all himself. So like, there's a lot of, you know, years and years of built up and, and between all the characters and it slowly unfolds over time what those demons are between each of the character sets and it does so in what i thought was a really really satisfying way in a movie where i was fully prepared for a bunch of you know cliches and things i've seen before it continued to surprise me as it unfolded right And, and that was true of like every character even nick nolte's character in a pretty heavy fucking scene when he falls off the wagon at one point and he's like PTSD delusional. You learn that he's got his own demons that may not excuse his old behavior, but they certainly sort of explain it. 
as he's like going through this like delirious PTSD. He's screaming about, you know, getting off the ship. We're all going to drown, whatever. Like you, you learn that, you know, his experience and, you know, Nam or whatever, you know, clouded his own story. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of what he was dealing with when he was a drunken, abusive father kind of thing, which again, doesn't excuse it, but it certainly gives you a reason why he might be. And Tom Hardy's character kind of comes to that realization in that moment as he's seeing something he's never seen before. Um, so have you seen this movie, by the way? Yes. Yes. I have. Okay. So I don't, I don't know if you liked it as much as I did, but it kept hitting these beats in like really good ways that were really, really satisfying. I found how did, what what did you think about it? I think I liked it a little more than you did. That's what I'll say. Ah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Even more than I did. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm giving it like, like I actually wrote down a plus here. Like I almost gave it. It's almost an as like an as. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's, it's, uh, and, and maybe it's because I went into it with not that high of expectations and it just blew me away. And I mean, we talked about like that earlier, we talked about that super satisfying Tom Hardy moment where, you know, he's going to, beat someone's ass and the person has it coming that happens in this movie in the gym when you know he's a fighter of some sort but you don't know much about his past and there's a guy who's training he's got an entourage so he's obviously like a big deal locally in this gym you end up finding out he's actually nationally a pretty big deal and he looks like an unlikable douchebag without being cartoonishly so he's just arrogant he's got an entourage he has a stupid mohawk like he wants to be chuck liddell but he's not and right. he says something. I don't even remember what he says to Tom Hardy, but he he like makes some snide remark to him that's kind of insulting, just enough so that you're like, man, I I hope Tom Hardy Tom Hardy gets in the ring and knocks this guy out, you know, like just shows him up, and he does just that, and you know it's going to happen. It's not like you know, there's no spoiler alert to be had because the moment you see him walk up and say, hey, I'll I'll keep your boy warm for you, you know, like I'll spar with him a right. little bit. It's blatantly obvious if you've ever seen a Tom Hardy movie what's going to happen, and boy does he literally throw this guy around like a rag doll en route to beating him within an inch of his life. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> Which, mean, and- <laughs> I mean, he ends up getting, uh, somebody takes video of it, and it goes viral and you know like everybody knows the video goes viral yeah and this guy who was like poised to contend as you know the next big thing in mma ends up being known as the guy who got his ass kicked by some no nobody in the gym on this viral video you know and so he ends up kind of being in the background later in the movie as like the whole thing crescendos to this mma tournament and that guy is in the tournament and he's you know much like boxers and whatever do you know in like hype conferences and stuff or like you know he keeps talking about how i'm gonna i'm gonna teach that guy a lesson it was a fluke i wasn't ready for it he practically sucker punched me this that and the other thing like you know i'm gonna beat his ass and again i don't feel like this is a spoiler because you know you know as soon as they get in the ring again that tom hardy is going to beat him up every bit as bad as he did before if, if, not, they, if not worse because he's been talking more shit And and Tom Hardy's been training again. When he beat him up the first time, he hadn't trained in years. Now he's training again. He's on a regiment. He's like, yeah, that's a good point. Like he's ready to go. Right. I feel like this is a perfect example of a moment where 
a lesser movie would have fallen into the cliche like they beat each other up and Friday Night Light style, he pulls it out at the end and triumphantly throws a punch that knocks him out or something. And they didn't even pretend to go down that route, right? Instead, the bell rings, they say, you know, they start the fight and Tom Hardy marches across the ring and almost murders him with his bare hand. I don't even think he takes a single punch. And even the announcers, as he like, does this classic thing as he does at the end of every one of these fights in this movie. As soon as he knocks the person out, he just gets up and storms out of the ring and goes back to his locker room. He doesn't wait for the ref to raise his hand or anything like that. He just knows the person's done. As he does so in this instance, the announcers are joking that it looks like he's leaving a crime scene because they're not sure the guy's still alive. You know, And like it's those moments where I feel like they leaned into what they needed to lean into instead of giving you a hard to buy cliche moment. They were like, no, no, everything that we've built to right here says that he is going to crush this guy. We need him to walk in and crush this guy. And yet they still managed to create some real tension in each one of these fight scenes. Like I found myself on the edge of my seat, even when I knew he was going to beat the hell out of someone. And then contrary, the, the Joel Edgerton character sort of is that Friday Night Lights style person where he just can't get beat. And I think, though, that that it works, though, because you need to believe that he is almost impossible to knock out, because otherwise, if and when they fight each other, why would he not just destroy his brother like he's destroyed everyone else? Well, his brother by that point has proven that he is like impossible to keep down. Right. You can't. He just he doesn't tap out. You can't knock him out. He's like almost a mutant like that. And again, it kind of, I think, goes back to like this tenacity and this perseverance of the demons from his past about what he had to deal with with their dad and that kind of stuff and always having to try and prove himself. And I just I think the entire thing dovetails extremely well into like the final crescendo and quite the opposite of lawless where I talked about earlier, where they take a complete left turn and like, you don't buy what happens. This one like kicks it into fifth gear and it goes to a place that I didn't see coming. And I got to tell you, Brandon, that when that movie ended, there was, it was dusty. It was real dusty in that room. (laughs) Like, like I think the cats had, had, tears in their eyes like uh, oh man like it it just again i didn't see it coming i didn't see any of this coming and i like i can't emphasize enough how i almost went s tier with this but it was like it was that good yeah lots of heavy breathing at the end hit all the right beats in all the right ways it avoided pitfalls that i think a lesser movie would have fallen into everything about tom hardy in this movie is like maximum tom hardy the way he walks the way he talks the way he throws punches, um, his lats are inhuman in this. Like, I think this was a year before Dark Knight Rises, and he's already got his Bane build in full force. Kurt Angle shows up as one of the other MMA fighters. What else? Yeah, so anyway, I, I, I don't know what else I can say about it. I, I feel I'm rambling again, but this this movie just, it, it blew me away. It absolutely blew me away. So A, A plus at least. If you haven't seen it, go see it immediately. Yeah, most definitely. Okay, so wait, let me, I just, I'm trying to get a sense check. How many movies do you have to go right now? I have one left. Did I skip one? You must have, because I... Yep, sorry, I skipped one. So I guess we're going to go out of order. My next one is going to be a B. (laughs) 
Okay, so I'll Shit. I'll do mine and then because I was like, how is Dan already to A? Like he doesn't have yeah. like three A's or something. Anyway. Okay. All right. Well, shit. <laughs> okay. So my next one is Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. Also starring Charlize Theron and Nicholas Holt. Also, I have noted here that Charlize Theron is hot as always. Is she though in this one? Oh, I the question is, would I turn her down? That is how I answer that question. <laughs> and the answer is no, I would not turn well, her down. Well, let's be fair. In this movie, you wouldn't dare. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. She's got, yeah. If, if she wants you, she's going to have you. <laughs> right. I, so I, would, I, gave, I wouldn't tell her no. No, absolutely <laughs> For fear not. of my own life. <laughs> so for, for the rating, I gave this an A. The synopsis is, in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, a group of misfits is on the road running from a tyrannical ruler. So honestly, with this movie, I love the way it just kind of dives right into yeah, the excitement. Yeah. It doesn't waste any time. It's very exciting from the get go. And you know, it's like so, you have this kind of like quiet scene at the beginning of the movie. And then it's like fucking nonstop the whole time. You're like, oh, okay. yeah. And in fact, I also have this on my list as an A. And this might be a perfect opportunity to just both go in on one movie at the same time so yeah i mean obviously we've got basically what is essentially a very long ass chase scene interspersed with not you know like with with little short moments where they're not on the run completely and they're just like stalled out somewhere and it's like there's just there's so much fucking excitement during these chase scenes and you get these little breathers here and there but it's like Obviously, with it being a chase and it being this po- post-apocalyptic world, much like the Mad Max movies of the late 70s, early 80s, they have this cool costume style and it's this desert wasteland and they they don't have enough water or they don't have enough gas or they don't have any, you know, so it it's basically just... I don't know. I can't really explain it, but it's just like they're climbing around on the outside of these vehicles and things like that and attacking each other and trying to get the upper hand. Yeah. So this movie, you know, as I mentioned, I had this one as an A as well. And so I'm going to jump in as well here and and pile on because this movie, like like you said, it it wastes no time. Other than the cold open where they just sort of introduce Tom Hardy's character, they introduce Mad Max, right? And kind of his own internal demons, right? After that, they're like in it, man. Like from the second those those war drums start, you're just like, it's on and it never lets up. I remember the first time I saw this, it was jarring. It was so bizarre. And I, and I remember sitting there watching it, thinking to myself, you know, halfway through the movie, I'm like, this is just one giant car chase scene. Can they do that? And even though I was immensely enjoying it, I was confused by the idea that, like, you can't just have a giant car chase movie for your movie for your entire movie, can you? And the answer <laughs> is a defiant yes. Yes, yes you can. Because Wait, did you, it is did amazing. You see, <laughs> did you see it in theaters or did you see it on video? I don't think I saw it in theaters only because I don't go to the theater much in the last decade. Like it's very rare. So I'm going to guess that I saw it on video. See, I was in, I was still in college. Like this came out my last summer of college, I think. And it was like, I I talked to somebody at work that had gone and seen it. And it was like, yeah, they were like, 
you I was like, yeah, I'll probably check it out on video or something because I like I, I had mixed feelings about the Mad Max movies of yesteryear. You know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind them, but it's not they're not my cup of tea typically. Yep. But the, yep. I had the, the same thought. I was like, I heard it was really good. but I was like, I'll get to it, you know, whatever. But they were like, but the, the friend from work was just like, you have got to see this movie in theaters while you still have the opportunity to, to do so. You can't just skip out on it. And I'm like. Okay. All right. I guess I'll go see it, you know? And so, I mean, it's like, holy shit. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, and I would say your friend was absolutely right because while I, I'm fairly certain I didn't see it in the theater because it came out in 2015. So I was living out in the burbs by then and we didn't go. I mean, we, we, we go to a movie maybe once every two years kind of thing, but I can say when I went to rewatch it for this project, I went down in my basement where I have a surround sound system and like a projector yes. on the wall and I watched it that way and I cranked it. <laughs> Because I was like, I, I'm not going to watch this on the couch on my on my TV, even though I have a big, nice TV. I was like, I want to watch this in as close to a movie theater experience as I can as I can muster, you know? Right. Well, it's funny because like sometimes, you know, I'll be watching a movie and usually like 35 for a movie because some movies are really quiet. Mm-hmm. My volume on my TV, if it's set at 35, that's pretty fucking low. And oftentimes I won't be able to hear a movie. I realized like halfway through Mad Max Fury Road that I had it at an 18 and it had been more than loud enough for me. It was like, holy oh, shit. It's so, I mean, but I mean, the sound is good and the stunts oh, are yeah. good. And like the, the effects it, are fucking amazing. Like, it's I mean, nuts. It, like the, the way that I describe it is like, it's like the, the, the writers or the producers or whoever, right. There's the, when they were sitting around storyboarding it and figuring out how everything's going to happen. It's like, they just went around a circle with this game of no matter what the person to your left says, you have to say something more extreme. And then the person on your right has to say something even more extreme than that. And they keep going around the room until they get it as absolutely over the top extreme as they can. And then they say, okay, guys, now let's take that idea and crank it to 11, right? Because everything in the movie is just balls out nuts. I mean, there's there's that scene where, you know, like it's pretty early on in the movie, but they're chasing him and Charlize Theron's character Furiosa is like leading the way and they're driving into this giant dust cloud and it is the most mammoth like it reaches all the way to the sky it seems like and it's got to be like several miles wide and they're just driving into it blindly knowing that they're not going to be able to see when they get into it with with people hanging off the side of the car and stuff right (laughs) So, so that's one thing I will mention that I find a shade ridiculous, but I can't really fault this movie. Yeah. Like the, the fact that they have a whole rig built up with the guy on guitar with all of the speakers yes. and shit. I'm so just like, yeah, okay. That, that's <laughs> the perfect example though, of what I'm talking about. Where like, it, and, and as crazy as you think that is, Think about like way back in the olden times, like, you know, the Revolutionary War, right? Where you've got like a drummer and fife, right? Where you literally have these guys in the army whose sole job it is to keep the march, right? And to like just fife and drum. And I don't know if it's supposed to like amp people up or just keep them in step to a rhythm or what. But to me, this is like the Mad Max version of, of the drummer and fife where they have this guy in like a red pajama onesie with a weird mask on strapped <laughs> to this rig with this ridiculous heavy metal guitar and like a concert stage 
speaker system like the, yeah you it looks see like it. the who concerts and yeah, stuff. yeah 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 like, <laughs> <laughs> like this giant thing behind him and rows of dudes with these massive huge drums behind him yeah. and like that's its own rig it serves no other purpose than to do that oh and not to i have to also of course mention the uh the flamethrowers that comes out of his guitar like you know yeah. if you've ever been to a kiss concert ace freely shoots fireworks out of a guitar out of his guitar this puts that to shame it's like napalm <laughs> right, right. I mean, like, my it's God. crazy. And it's yeah. so cool, though. It's this is like the perfect right. example I mean, of like the movie works as well as it does because of that absurdness. You know, exactly. That's what I was going to say is it's yeah. like there's stuff like that that I can't really argue against because I've seen everything else in this movie that are <laughs> it's just oh, like off the wall shit. You know, I mean, yeah. you've got the the women being milked in this giant room. You've got, you know, they're like, they're drinking this breast milk. And I mean, like, there's just all sorts of shit going on. But I mean, like, the one thing I will say that I, I know about this movie and I find it very odd is it is the colors are so spectacularly done. Like the way they, Mm -hmm. they shade certain scenes and things like that. I'm very shocked and maybe I just need to watch it to truly appreciate it. But the fact that they have like a black and white chrome version of this movie available i don't Do understand i didn't know that yeah i didn't know that yeah i was like i don't think that this movie would be anywhere near as visually stunning as it is if it was not in color you know i mean yeah yeah that's just the way i take it but yeah so i mean and there's there's even i mean speaking of chrome because that was like a theme in the movie right like yeah the, the chrome like like it i forget what what they say, but it's almost like a death chant kind of thing. Like it shall be chrome and shiny or something like that. Yeah. And like, if they know they're going to die, they almost like sacrifice themselves. They do this thing where they take out this spray paint can and they spray, yeah. spray, uh, chrome spray paint all over their mouth and face. And yeah. then like go kamikaze style into whatever they're going to do. And I, even that's another thing where I was like, that seems so cartoonish and weird, but again, it leans into this, like cranking it up to 11. Like they're not just going to cross themselves and say, here I go. They're going to do this elaborate, weird thing. And like, then grab a hand grenade and jump on someone. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And it's so nuts. And, you know, not to get off on like a, you know, religious tangent or anything, but if you really think about it, it's not any more bizarre than a lot of things, a lot of religions do in real life. So like, you know, this is their over the top, like, ritual they do yeah it just contributes to that kind of tapestry of craziness yeah and it so i will say that in this movie like i won't i don't know how to put it it's like tom hardy is the top build actor in this movie but it really almost feels like it's just it's more furiosa's movie it's not yeah. like i i love tom hardy in it but he's like very quiet and i i can't remember if that was a thing when mel gibson was playing the role like where he was just super fucking quiet and didn't say much. Yeah. I, I, you know, uh, a note that you made about Tom Hardy and uh, when you were talking about Dark Knight Rises, how he says so much without saying anything, like just with yeah. his eyes, because he's got that mask on. To me, this was a movie where I noticed that same exact thing. And I even wrote it down about how like he doesn't have many lines, but he can convey so much with just a look. Or, right. uh, you and, know what I mean? Because I mean, like at the ver- at the beginning of this movie, like after he's been in, in jail or whatever you want to call it, he's literally just 
chained to the front of this vehicle that's on this chase <laughs> and he's wearing this like metal mask that I don't know what it's supposed to be for. I mean, is it so he doesn't Because it looks people? super cool. <laughs> yeah, right. That's about it. I mean, like, so it's like, that's what we get of him. And he is not, yeah, he is not saying much at all, but he is conveying a lot of emotion in this movie. Yeah. Other, other things like that, like the little, a couple little moments that I saw or, or, or specific details, I should say the, the rig that they're on, like their main one. I love how it's almost like a go-go gadget kind of thing. Like there are little weapons and traps like hidden all over this thing. (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah. I love it. Uh, It's fucking great. Or when, uh, when they're, they're getting tailed by one of the other groups, like one of the other warlords and they leave them behind them. And Tom Hardy is like, Hey, I'm going to go get us some supplies and fuel or whatever. And he just sort of disappears into the mist and you can't see where he goes. And then he comes back and he's covered in blood. And one of the prisoner women that they're helping to escape, she says, Oh, he's hurt. We need to get him some help. And Charlie's there and just says, that's not his blood. (laughs) (laughs) And like, they don't say anything else about it. And I almost like, I wonder, I I don't have the Blu-ray or anything, but like if there's a deleted scene where you actually see what happens or if they just, you know, it's enough that you just just leave it to your imagination. Yeah. Yeah. That he, (laughs) he clearly got the better of all of them in a not so clean way. (laughs) Right. So I don't know about you, Dan, but I can't really say for sure if there's any one specific thing that actually kept this out of being an S for me. I mean, I can't either. Other than like there's this guttural feeling I have that like, can one giant car chase scene be an S tier movie? And I don't know that I can say no. <laughs> right. I, I mean, this this is the so th- this is was going to be the one that I talked about last, because to me, this is the most borderline potentially S tier just because I've never seen a movie like this. I've never seen anything pull something off so successfully that's so weirdly outside the box and leans so hardcore into being essentially a two hour car chase scene and yeah. and yet still be so imminently watchable and enjoyable. You know, and and honestly, uh, go ahead. Oh, so supposedly I don't know if you read into this movie at all or like any of the secondary type things that are coming out after this movie. So there's supposed to be a spinoff film for Furiosa in 2024. I did read that. Yeah. Did you see who is starring in it? I think so. I would have to look again, though, because I remember commenting on it. It was Anya Taylor-Joy. Yes, I did see that because it it definitely piqued my interest. It was Anya Taylor-Joy and I think a couple other people. Yeah, um, I didn't see who else was But it's going to be a Furiosa movie, not a Mad Max movie, because apparently right. Tom Hardy signed on to do three of them or something. But then there was this big lawsuit between the writer-director and the studio and people got sued and whatever. So I have no idea if they're actually still going to make any of those, but I guess they're still going to try and make a Furiosa prequel. Um, yeah, the only with, the only other like the other Mad Max movies that are supposed to come out are all like to be determined release dates and things like you know, they, there's like nothing on them at all, really. But yeah, yeah, I mean, the the other thing I was going to mention that I think if if there's one thing, strangely enough, that I think might push this into an S tier is there's another less talked about, though I have definitely read about this and heard about it more than once aspect of this movie. And that is the theme of. Charlize Theron's character and like this, the strong woman kind of thing. Like if you watch this, a romantic relationship never is even hinted at between Furiosa and Mad Max. And while that seems like not a big deal, 
if you watch a lot of movies, that's a very big deal. Like, right. usually it's one of those things where like there's this rule in Hollywood where, you know, there's this assumption that no one will watch the movie if the main characters don't fall in love or if you don't have a love interest somewhere. Like you have to have a love interest. You just how how could we possibly make a movie without one? And in a movie like this where you have a strong female lead, it's probably going to be the male lead. You know what I mean? And somehow they avoid this and the studio let them get away with it. And in my opinion, it only makes the movie better because it would have felt chintzy for them to like fall in love somehow. And they don't at all. They they definitely slowly develop this like platonic respect for each other as they realize they're both trying to get away from the same people and they can help each other. And like their chance of survival and success is better if they help each other than if they fight each other or go their separate ways. And so like there's that, but there's never any like they don't force themselves to shoehorn in a love story that doesn't belong there. And in my opinion, the movie is 10 times better as a as a result. So absolutely. I, I don't yeah. know. It's not, it's something that that you don't see enough. And I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it here because I think that's actually a a really strong aspect of this movie um, that helps make it what yeah. it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I just convinced myself in a, it's an S tier. Fuck it. It's S. Okay. I stand by it. I stand by it. All right. <laughs> That's Fair all enough. I had to say about it though. So uh, I hope yeah, I didn't hijack I mean, your, your pick. No, too much. <laughs> no, you're, you're good. You got, I mean, covered pretty much everything I wanted to cover. It was, um, I mean, it's a solid movie. It's definitely unique and it, there's a reason it was really popular when it came out and it, it's very well done and just across the board, every every aspect of a movie like this that you want is present. And like Dan said, there's not a love story and they're, they don't force that into it. And it's it's a lot better that way. OK, well, I uh, I jumped in there. Um, do you want me so to wait, you, go? You have you have a B movie to go and you have another movie to go after that. No, I only have a B movie to go because that was my other, my top pick. I just jumped into right there because you had it as an A as well. So I, <laughs> I think you have one movie to go, right? Correct. Yep. And I have one movie that I skipped by accident. <laughs> okay. So, so, so why right. don't you go into your next one and then I'll go back to my, uh, my B movie. Well, just go, go ahead and do yours right now. And then, and then. Okay. You want to yeah. do a time mark so you know where to, to splice that one back to. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've got it right now. I'll, it's not going to matter because by the time okay. I edit it, I get this far. It'll, you know, it says 155 and it'll probably oh, be more Jesus like 130. Christ. Yeah, we are long winded for sure. OK, so my I didn't meet my goal of rambling last. That's that much is clear. But uh, I actually don't have a whole lot to say about my last one anyway, or I should say the one that I skipped. So the one that I skipped that I'll give a B is the movie Legend from 2015. This one features two Tom Hardys. He plays both twin brothers of a uh, crime family from London in the 60s. For my synopsis, I have it's, it's about the rise and fall of the legendary Cray brothers who were mobsters in 60s London. And he plays both Ronnie Cray, who is like this oafish, clinically insane, hyper ultra violent brother, as well as Reggie Cray, who is like the more suave, business minded, smooth talking kind of more sensible half of the duo. And again, they're both, they're twin brothers, they're mobsters, they, they run their own gang. It's a decent movie, but I feel like as much as any movie possibly can, this movie survives on the performances of Tom Hardy. And that's, you know, again, both of them. I, th I feel like if you took Tom Hardy out of this movie and put 
anyone else there. It would have been a very run-of-the-mill crime drama uh, or mob movie. It, it's even with Tom Hardy, it definitely doesn't live up to like, you know, your casinos and Goodfellas and Godfather, obviously. But even with Tom Hardy and his performances, it's okay. Again, if I would say if you're either a Tom Hardy fan or a huge fan of mob movies, I would say check it out. Otherwise, it's entirely skippable. Not a whole lot to write home about. I would say if there's one primary highlight that I would talk about, it would be specifically Tom Hardy's performance as the uh, insane brute brother. Like it's uh-huh. kind of uncanny. Like it's it's yeah. almost spooky at times, like how he just becomes this dude. And there's one moment where they're at this like New Year's party or Christmas party near the end of the movie and he's by himself and he starts dancing and it's hysterical. <laughs> like <laughs> it is the most like uncomfortable yet funny, like little by himself enjoying himself dance <laughs> that he does. And it's just bizarre. Other than that, it's kind of predictable in a, in a lot of ways. David Thewlis shows up and is very David Thewlis-y. Uh, he's he always is is uh, a character that I, or a, an actor I like seeing pop up in movies. Uh, no different here, though. You kind of know where it's going to go with between his character and and both of the brothers. Actually, we have very and he's he kind of is almost uses a device to show the sharp contrast between the two brothers. One of the brothers trusts him really well. He's a great business partner. He's a banker. The other partner sees him as a threat to his relationship with his brother, doesn't like him, doesn't understand how this business stuff works, wants to just go and bust heads and, you know, rob people. And so it's a very like it's a they kind of use David Thewlis to to really showcase how different the two characters are. So so there's some things that it does well, but overall, like I said, it's other than the fact that Tom Hardy plays both of the main characters, uh there's not much to write home about. With that, I'll give it a B. A B on the strength of Tom Hardy alone. Yeah, that this one I am I have seen and had the opportunity to uh, like I've seen it on streaming services and stuff and I've like had the opportunity to watch it multiple times and I just can't pull the trigger. Like I just am not that excited by it for some yeah, reason. I, I would say watch it for Tom Hardy because I know you like Tom Hardy and also because uh as of January fifteenth, it's gonna leave Netflix. So watch it while oh. you can. All right. All right. So, so what's your last on? one? Yep. That's okay, all I so, got. Okay. So my last one, as you might have expected, is Warrior, also starring Nick Nolte and Joel Edgerton. I rated this one an S because honestly, you know, Dan already said most of this stuff, but basically, when this movie had come out, I had a friend tell me that I needed to check it out. And I had the same kind of thoughts about it that Dan was talking about where it's just like, it looks like another boxing slash fighting movie. That's just a run of the mill, you know? Oh yeah. You know, big whoop. We're going to get another Rocky, but it's going to be MMA this time. Rocky 25 MMA. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it didn't really grab me when they said to watch it and I watched it and it was like, I was fucking floored by all of these, the performances. I mean, basically, I don't know if I would necessarily say that the fighting takes a backseat to the family drama, but it certainly is given equal time in this movie. It seems like it's, it's like the, the family drama is ever present in this movie and everybody is just at each other's throats. And I mean, Tom Hardy probably conveys best of all what his character is going through and his, his uh, take on the whole situation where he just kind of feels like he hates his father and his brother abandoned him or, you know, like didn't 
uh, come with him to when his him and his mom left. And it's like, it's just so gripping to watch, especially Tom Hardy. But yeah, obviously, Joel Edgerton and Nick Nolte are not to be forgotten in this movie. They are fucking fantastic. And even um, the wife, Jennifer Morrison, I think is her name. She's fucking fantastic in this as well. Mm-hmm. And I just love like the aspects of basically Joel Edgerton's character is a teacher and he gets suspended from being a teacher for going to these like parking lot fights. And then, you know, cause he's trying to, to get money to be able to pay for his house and things like that. And like, it's just, I love the whole aspect of like, basically like the principal and the kids are all like cheering him on when he ultimately does go and fight in this big tournament. And it's just, I fucking love it. But I yeah, mean, well, you, you mentioned that the fighting almost takes a backseat. It's almost like instead of being about the fighting, it's about the family and they use the fighting almost as a tool to like yeah. ratchet up the suspense or like the intensity of what's going on inside their, all their heads. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, and, and it he, works. <laughs> right. It absolutely works. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously like Edgerton has a more sympathetic storyline. Like you talked about, like the Friday night lights thing where it's like, he it's harder to root for Tom Hardy's character because he's so abrasive and he's just mm-hmm. so displeased with everyone. But it's like, at the same time, you're still like, yeah, this guy probably has a lot of reason to be, you know, at least in his mind, pissed off at these people. Right. You know, I mean, right. it's like, so you know that that's gotta be what's going through his head is it's like, he's, he like you feel like, the animosity, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like you, you believe, you believe it a hundred percent every I just, moment. I just love, so there's a moment where Tom Hardy and Nick Nolte, obviously is playing his dad. He's they're like Tom Hardy decides he wants to get back into fighting and training and all this stuff. And basically he talks to his dad at this diner and you know, the whole time, like his dad has been kind of like sheepishly not wanting to to cross Tom Hardy, you know, like just it, at least that's the vibe I got. Like he's like and, and early on in the movie, it's like he doesn't want to scare him away. So he's not saying anything to piss him off. But then Tom Hardy asks him to, tr- you know, be his trainer. And there's this moment where Tom Hardy says something about if his dad does this or his dad does that, he's going to fucking walk or whatever. And his dad makes him give up these pills that he's been taking. Nick Nolte just says, and I don't want, you know, I don't want to hear you saying you're going to fucking walk every time, every time we do anything, you know, like every fucking time anything comes up, you're going to fucking walk. I don't want to hear about it. Like, it's just, it's a very fucking intense moment. And it's like, finally, like he's kind of breaking free of that, like worry that he can't be what he needs to be to his son in this moment, you know, like he's not like afraid. It seems like it. I just, I really, mm. I really enjoyed that moment specifically for some reason. So I guess I don't know that I have a whole ton above and beyond that. I mean, if stars could have aligned more perfectly, we could have talked about warrior and fury or uh, yeah, fury road together on both of them. I probably should have just, made an executive decision and done that. Well, but had, had I not fucked up and gone out of order, you may have realized I was closer to the, the end of my list. Than you did. Yeah, right. Well, I was like starting to worry. I'm like, good God, how can like, we, you where know? are you going with this? Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, that's all I've really got for warrior. I fucking love it. But I mean, like there's only so much that can be said, just go out and fucking watch it. If you have the opportunity, I own the movie. I've seen it a few times. 
and I like it every time I watch it, if not more so each time. So mm. absolutely. So was your viewing of it, was it the first ever time you had seen it? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, first time I'd ever yeah. seen it. Uh, I watched okay. it a week ago and like it, it just, it slayed me. Yeah. Like and I said, I mean, it was one it of those, was... I, I went in with, with low ish expectations, not super low. I mean, it had a high rating, but yeah, you know, so I figured it's gotta be doing something right, but I was not expecting to like it as much as I did. Yeah. And I mean, that was, it was actually one that I almost texted you and said, Hey, I'm not saying you have to put it on your list, but if you haven't already seen it, watch this movie, you know, (laughs) but like, I was like, no, no, I don't want to tamper with fate. I'm just going to let it come together if it will. And, you know, maybe you would have liked it less if I would have told you that it was good or something like that. Who knows? But yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what I got. That's definitely a thing that happens, right? Like going into a movie with low expectations, I always think of it as like the airplane, like captive audience type scenario, you know, where like you specifically will watch a movie on an airplane because you're a captive audience and you got nothing else to do. And it's like, I'll watch this. It looked kind of good, but you know, whatever, meh. And then like you end up loving it, you know? Yeah. Like, (laughs) right. It's the best feeling, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, this kind of fell into that. It was streaming on HBO. It had pretty high rating. I thought I'll I'll check this out and it just absolutely blew me away. Absolutely. So I guess we don't I mean, I don't know what we got if we want to do next time anything. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple of ideas. Okay. I guess uh well actually real quick here. <laughs> real quick he says at the two ten mark. <laughs> <laughs> um a couple of uh, honorable mentions, I which have- I kind of have it as also mentions because like we had a a lot of back and forth about like what constitutes a Tom Hardy movie, because he's one of those characters who he's he's a a leading actor who can carry an entire movie on his shoulders, as we've talked about. But he's also an amazing character actor. So like there's movies like The Revenant where he's like it's not it's a Leo DiCaprio movie. It's not a Tom Hardy movie. It's exactly what I put in my notes. Yes, but it's a very, very memorable character and a significant character that he plays. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, and I wouldn't want to see him replaced or anything like that in that role. Like, I, you know, I don't feel like just anybody could play it. It, Right, right. Like, it's, it's... it's not an interchangeable, you know, it's not like, you know, he shows up and you had mentioned Layer Cake and Rock and Rolla. And those are two movies that I would love to talk about in their own rights because because those are two movies that I really enjoy, um, especially right. Layer Cake is one of my favorite all time movies. But like the characters that he plays in those could honestly be anyone else. Right. He just kind of comes and goes. He's in a couple of scenes, yeah. you know, um, early in his career. And Layer uh, Cake, especially he's like, yeah. What? got two minutes of screen time honestly right, like right right and and then there's also like inception is one where honestly i always forget he, he was in that until yeah. i see him in the credits and i was like oh yeah he was in that wasn't he but again that's like again a leo dicaprio and and elliot page as ellen page movie mm. and then uh dunkirk i had mentioned or i, I had written down yeah a, a movie where it's not a tom hardy movie but he's in it and he his his character spends the entire time coming and going from the movie, but always in a cockpit on like the same flight that he's like, like just there through the whole battle. Star Trek Nemesis, he plays the bad guy. That was like his first major role, I think, um, movie role at least. He did. Uh, I did watch this movie for this and I decided not to include it, but it was Locke. Did you ever watch that one? No, it was on my short list and I was going to watch it. It had a really high Rotten Tomatoes sto- score. But the more I, I 
read about it. I think I watched the trailer. I was like, I don't know. It, this looks like it's for me. And by then I wanted to watch something else. I forget what, but. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't hate it, but it's, it's just kind of like one of those ones. And it's like, I watched it and I, I rewatched it, but it's like, realistically, I never needed to watch it over again. Like it just, <laughs> right, it right. was, it's the kind of movie yeah. where it's like, Tom Hardy is literally sitting in a car making phone calls yes. to a bunch of people. It, it, didn't sound it. like what I wanted to watch. No, so I, I think right. I ended up watching Lawless instead. Yeah, right. And so that's it was either that, that or rewatch Bronson, film. and I didn't want to rewatch Bronson. Oh, and I do want to mention there's one movie in his filmography that I almost sought out called What's Minotaur that? from 2006. It has a Rotten oh, Tomatoes God. critic score of not applicable and an audience score of 15. <laughs> Oh God. I it mean, might be in the running of one of those like worst movies of all time. And I feel like I may have actually watched that 15 years ago and didn't finish it because it was so bad. It was like, it was streaming on something and I was like, oh, Minotaurs are cool. I'll watch this. And it was so bad. I was like, nah, <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> I can't remember. God, there was a movie. Oh, Deserter was the name of this movie that I saw that is from 2002. And it's apparently got him in it. And the ratings on it were just so piss poor that I was like, yeah, I don't. I mean, like, he's technically second build. But from what I gather, he doesn't actually. It's like one of those things where an up and coming star took some bit part in a movie. And then they kind of like get shoehorned into the poster and with their name on the poster and all this stuff, even though they have like a very small role in it, you know? Right. right, right. So it's like the marketing, they're like trying to sell the movie. It's also called <laughs> Legion of honor. It was available on, on Amazon mm. prime, but it was like, no, thanks. I'm good. Right. Right. So, yeah, so that, that was about all I had to say about Tom Hardy. I've got a couple of ideas for the next one. Uh, we had mentioned during the first one, potentially looking into Charles Brolin as he kept popping up in those Coen brothers movies. And we kept commenting oh, about how good Josh, he is. Josh Brolin. <laughs> jo oh yeah. What did I say? Charles Brolin. Oh, it was cause I was staring at a thing that said Charles Bronson. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. I was going to so make Josh, the, Josh Brolin, I was, was yeah, going to earlier make, make the, the comment that uh, Bronson may have been better if it was about the other Charles Bronson. <laughs> Right. The, yes. The movie the star. Real Charles Bronson. <laughs> the yeah. real Charles Bronson. But yeah, so I don't know, maybe maybe uh, Josh Brolin or uh, maybe we go back to a, a director type uh, situation or or even look at like a, a universe of characters or, or something. Not not necessarily like Marvel Universe, but, you know, that sort of idea. Yeah. If there's stuff like that out there. I don't know. There's there's a. We've only done two of these and there's about a billion things we could still do. So another thing we could do is whenever the first one posts, if anybody has chimes in with comments and says, oh, you guys should do such and such, as long as it's not like you guys should do all the Beverly Hills Chihuahuas movies, maybe uh, see, see what the audience wants to hear. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's an option. I mean, I mean, the, the one that's supposed to be, I mean, this obviously I don't know when I'm going to release this episode, but the one that we already recorded is releasing this coming week so thursday four days from now or whatever so well there you go um, that'll give us an opportunity we can we can talk about it a little bit by the more time by the time out. this airs we might already have uh our next theme picked out there you go all right sounds good all right so unless we got anything else to talk about i, I think guess. we talked about this to death we're at the yeah, 215 we really mark did. we're uh actually six minutes shy of what we were with the first episode i think so, really yeah. oh there you go maybe we we rambled less than we thought <laughs> maybe it helped strides. that we both talked about mad max yeah. at the same time <laughs> right could be 
All right. Well, I hope you guys have a good rest of your day. Bye now. 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 Brandon at Random Reviews is written, recorded, produced, edited, and engineered by Brandon Griffiths. The theme music is performed by Augusto Diniz and was acquired by way of Fiverr.com.